I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. Nice choice to start this hour. Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, was one of the favorites of Dr. King. As a matter of fact, when she was just a young girl, whenever he was in Detroit uh, for anything, he would stay oftentimes at the family home of Reverend C.L. Franklin. And Aretha got to know him well when she was young. And Dr. King took Aretha on the road with him many times to raise money during the civil rights era. So uh, no better choice. One of Dr. King's favorites, uh, Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. In this hour, a conversation with the eldest son of the greatest American this country has ever produced. You all know my assessment. That's what I think of him. He's the greatest American this country has ever produced. I say it all the time. Pleased to be joined this hour by his eldest son, Martin Luther King III, and his brilliant wife, Andrea Waters King, to talk about their civil and human rights advocacy and their new docuseries, Protect, Serve, Martin Luther King III. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. I hope you're doing well also. I'm doing the best I can. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. Andrea, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm, I'm well. Good to have you both on. Thanks for the time. Glad we got an hour. There's a whole, whole lot to, to, to talk about. Um, let, me, let, me, let me start with this. This is... Um, it's an interesting moment. We just spent an hour talking to Katrina Vanden Heuvel of The Nation magazine. And, of course, I do this every day for three hours. Uh, and we were talking a moment ago about the proper role of government in a moment like this and all that the American people are enduring. I don't want to color this question much more than that, Martin, but just give me your sense of this moment that you think that we Americans are trying to navigate our way through. What do you make of this uh, particular American moment here in late modernity? Well, first of all, I would say thank you so much, Tavis, for what you are doing every day, what you've done for years, in fact. And um, the fact that the public has an opportunity to really engage and hopefully understand uh, what is going on in this country. At this particular moment, I, uh, I feel very, I don't want to say sad because I'm never... Um, I never want to characterize things as negative, I want to, but I also want to be truthful. Mm -hmm. We are at a very critical juncture in the history of this nation. Uh, we've had a court system historically, some years back, that we went to to expand rights, and now the court is reducing rights, whether it is uh, the right of, of women to choose, whether it is affirmative action, which is coming up shortly, which would probably be totally decimated, whether it is voting rights, which are being restricted really on a consistent basis. Uh, so when we look at where we are, you know, Dad's last sermon at the National Cathedral was entitled Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution. Mm -hmm. And somehow this nation, some elected officials, have used the term as being awakened to be a negative term. The fact of the matter is, you know, we know about how he talked about Rip Van Winkle, and when Rip Van Winkle went to sleep, you know, uh, King George was on the throne, and when he woke up, you know, George Washington was the first president. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter <laughs> is that, unfortunately, some of us are asleep now, and we need to wake up and, and, and stay engaged. We have to organize. We have to mobilize. We have to, uh, we have to stay really on the battlefield, at least at this particular moment. Or else our history, which is being uh, transitioned in a, way, in, a, in a real sense, the fact that black history is being written out. We don't want to 
not we, but some don't want us to understand who we are, and some don't want their children to understand who we are and don't want the truth to be known. So I'm, my point is we're in a critical situation, and unless Americans engage the I would say the silent majority, uh, there's no telling what is going to happen in terms of things being turned back. The final thing I'll say for this moment is when you look at income and inequality, mm -hmm. 55 years ago, uh, when Dad was killed in April and just a, a, a month or so away, month and a few days away, almost a month right now, uh, we were at a state of a situation. Today, the average wealth of the African-American family, and I'll say prior to the pandemic, was about, a, a, about you know, $18,000 to $20,000, whereas the average white wealth was over 157000 so how do we close this gap? And we need to really understand that. And when you spend a trillion four hundred billion dollars as a community, there's some things that you got to do. It's not just the society. Yes, the society has to do better. Yes, business has to do better. But what can we do is the real question to change this situation that is going to advance ourselves and other communities just as well. He always does this every time we talk. I ask him one question. He gives me so much I want to unpack and interrogate. And as we move through this hour, I'm going to uh, uh, un, uh, interrogate and ask him to unpack a lot of what he's just said. There's a whole lot in what he just said, and I want to uh, get to that in a moment here. But uh, only after I give uh, Andrea Waters King uh, an opportunity to answer the same question. Uh, she has uh, done a number of things in her career, uh, in part. Uh, one of those things of being a philanthropist. I was in conversation the other day with one of our guests, uh, Andrea. I was making the point there's, there's a critical and crucial distinction between charity and justice, between charity and justice. And so I, I wonder, uh, through your philanthropic lens, um, how you see this American moment right about now. Um, well, first and foremost, I think that we have to be clear as we're looking at the landscape of what's going on. Um, and we're seeing um, all across this nation oppression being legislated. Mm hmm we also are seeing the first generation since after um, Reconstruction that are not only sitting with rights being stripped away and having fewer rights, but if you are a girl child born into this country last year, you actually are born with fewer rights than your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, and that has not happened since after um, Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I think that we really need to be clear on the direction of which our, our country is going. Um, I come from an activist background, as you said. I worked for an organization that actually was founded by Reverend C.T. Vivian, one of Martin's father's lieutenants, as well as Ann Braden, who Martin's father mentioned in the letter from a Birmingham jail mm -hmm. as a white Southerner that was in the, the struggle for freedom and justice um, for black folks even um, in, the, in the 60s. But one of the things I think that people forget, you talked about Martin's father being one of being the greatest American. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, and we know of him as a scholar. We know of him as a Baptist minister, all of those things which we should know him as. But sometimes we forget that he also was an activist. Mm -hmm. And so his, his preaching wasn't just limited to the pulpit. And his theories weren't just limited to academia. And so what he did is he saw where he felt was injustice and what was unjust and, un and not right in our society and actively organized using action 
to right those wrongs. And one of the things that we feel at the Drum Major Institute is that right now they're modern day Martin Luther King Jr.'s and Coretta Scott King's in communities all over the country. And if we could find a way to impact their work, um, to lift up their work, to impact their work, we feel it's one of the best ways to stop this erosion of rights that we're seeing around the country. I see uh, where this conversation is headed. Um, uh, she was talking a moment ago, Andrea, was about the direction of this country. I am now clear about the direction of this conversation. Uh, they give me a whole lot to work with, and I thank both of them. And so when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580, we're going to start to interrogate a great deal what's already been said. Uh, you're listening to Martin Luther King III and Andrea Waters King talk about their work through the John Major Institute, and we'll talk about their new docuseries, Protect, Serve, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to our, our special guest in this hour, Martin Luther King III and his wife, Andrea Waters King, as we talk about their new docuseries, uh, Protect, Serve, and the work they're doing, the fine work they're doing through their drum major institute. Before we get to that, uh, you heard Martin say a moment ago that this year, April 4, just a few weeks down the road, uh, we will commemorate the 55th anniversary of the assassination of his father in Memphis, 55 years um, this year. As I, again, repeat all the time around here. He is, to my mind, the greatest American this country's ever produced. Uh, but it's hard to believe it's been 55 years since his assassination come April 4, 2023. Uh, most of you know, uh, last week on this uh, on this uh, station, on this program, in fact, we did a one-hour radio play. Uh, Martin and Andrea are not aware of this. I want to give them a taste of this and ask uh, a few questions behind it. Uh, based on what Martin's already told us. Uh, but uh, a week or so ago on this station, uh, on the last day of Black History Month, in fact, February the 28th, we closed Black History Month by doing a one-hour radio play called The Return. Uh, and here's uh, what we uh, what we did, in case you missed it. Um, so The Return is a one-hour radio play that we wrote and produced and aired on this station. It imagines that Martin and Malcolm come back to Earth 50-plus uh, years after their respective assassinations. They come back to Earth for one hour. And during that one hour, they choose to sit with a guy named Tavis Smiley for a conversation on radio uh, about contemporary issues. So it's that ultimate question. What would Martin say? What would Malcolm say about the contemporary issues that we are dealing with? The good news is we didn't have to put words in their mouth. What's great about the radio play is that you hear Martin and Malcolm addressing contemporary issues, but with words, with language, with prose that they already uh, put forth in their work and witness while they were living. I want to give Martin and, and Andrea just a taste of how that radio play started and then a few questions on the other side. Through our scientific genius, we've made of the world a neighborhood. And now through our moral and ethical commitment, we must make of it a brotherhood. We must all learn to live together as brothers, or we will all perish together as fools. As for me, I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory and the coming of our Lord. 
47 million black people. You don't even know their own language. Why? Because he took it away from you. 47 million black people don't even know the history of their ancestors. Why? Because he took it away from you. The injustice that has been inflicted upon the so-called Negro in this country by Uncle Sam is criminal. Don't blame the cracker in Georgia for your issues. Do like the insurrectionists did on January 6th and blame the government. That's who's responsible. That's how this uh, radio play, The Return, uh, begins. If you missed it, go to any of our socials and you can uh, hear the entire one-hour presentation. And we've also posted uh, a few clips uh, from uh, live footage that was uh, shot during uh, the live presentation of that play. Uh, and uh, you can see what was going on when these great actors, Gerald C. Rivers, who played Dr. King, and Maurice Kitchen, who played Malcolm X, joined me here in studio for that conversation. I, I, I want to give, a, give you a taste of that, Martin, because when you said that uh, we are, again, just days away from the 55th anniversary uh, uh, of your father's assassination, uh, let me start with this broad question, then we can narrow it. Um, how does that strike you? It, it rolled off your lips, but it is, again, 55 years since they killed your father. Uh, how are you processing that in this moment in this year? So, you know, I'm, I'm processing it maybe in a, uh, again, I, I always want to be positive, but I also want to be realistic. Mm-hmm. I always like to look at a glass half, uh, I mean, half full and half empty. Right. But the circumstances almost dictate that we're still at half empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm. And, you know, when you, when you, I, I think dad, is, is is not just turning over in his grave. He's just spinning around. Mm. Honestly, when you think about where we should be and where we could be, and then the fact is that we have power, but we don't know it because we've been programmed against who we are. And until we really awaken and realize who we are as, as women and men and families of God, uh, we may not really achieve what, what we need to. I, I think that dad, you know, was far more than how the mainstream media has attempted to define him. Yes. He was killed, as you know, Tavis, because he was talking about an economic shakeup. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because he was talking about riding in front of the bus. I mean, he really was revolutionary. And I think, unfortunately, again, mainstream media pits him and Malcolm X against each other as to looking at them in a different way. I mean, we don't ever take two white folk and pit them against each other. Mm-hmm. We do that with black folk mm-hmm. because we allow that to happen instead of saying, you know, it's really a both and it's, it's, you know, we, you know, dad may not have agreed with, well, Malcolm X may not have agreed with some of dad's tactics, but their whole objective was the liberation of, of, of people of color, black folk lifting people up, creating opportunities uh, for our community. But but in the case, you know, Dad wanted to create opportunities for all in terms of poor people. And that again, that's why he was killed, because he was talking about a radical redistribution of wealth in this nation. And that part is never talked about. We, 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 we live in the, oh, I have a dream. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, we all have dreams. But he had a dream <laughs> and a vision and a plan mm-hmm. to actually execute transformation for our nation and yet uh that part is unknown i mean it's not talked about you know when you think about the fact 
that we need to constantly be evaluating the workings of capitalism. Mm. For all of us on this phone, it has worked well. It's worked well for you. It's worked well for me. Mm-hmm. But it's not working for the masses of our people. How do we empower everyone? In America, everybody should have a decent home. And a decent home could be a 200,000-square-foot home. It doesn't have to be a 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000-square-foot home. Everyone should have the best education. Everyone should have health care. Everyone uh, should be able to have a decent job and justice. And unfortunately, that's just not true for the masses of our people. But we can create that climate if we choose to. Mm. And I think we have not chosen to. I, I believe there's nothing on the planet that we cannot do. We have the ability, in other words, to do most anything. We just have not yet identified yeah. the will. But when ability and will come together, it yields results. So I don't know if I answered the question. No, you did. But I answered. Not only did you answer it, but you teed up two or three more. And before I bring Andrea back at the conversation, let me just ask one of those follow-ups that that is is in my spirit right now. Earlier in this conversation, Martin, you said that um, you you referenced the silent majority. Uh, I take your point, but let me just ask you uh, uh, forthrightly and, and, and directly. If there is, in fact, a silent majority in this country, why do you think the the silent majority is, in fact, silent? So I, I think that when you're comfortable and complacent, mm. so again, those who capitalism maybe has worked for, you know, and, and those who, you know, are living maybe in, in glass houses and not really consciously aware. And then there's so many, there's so much noise and distraction out here that can keep you off of your own agenda. Mm. Because it's almost like things are constantly thrown in front of our faces. It's like if somebody was to throw you a, a diamond ring and pull it back. And there's stuff coming at us consistently, and so it's hard to focus. And real, realistically, focus means developing a strategic plan and sticking to that plan until you achieve your objective. That's what was done in the modern civil rights movement, in my judgment. I mean, it wasn't just protesting. Mm-hmm. We do protesting all the time. But there was a, a plan so that you could get a, a civil rights act and a voting rights act and fair housing legislation. And we got to go back to planning, you, you employing a strategy, using and executing it. And while there are some people doing that at some levels, I mean, you know, we've got now diversity, equity, and inclusion departments around the country. Right after George Floyd, many corporations did it. Well, just a few weeks ago, all of them now, or not all of them, but some of them are saying, well, that's costing too much. How mm-hmm. can it cost too much to create a better society? And you are these both have billion dollar corporations and maybe even some of them could be trillion dollar corporations. And you're going to cut out diversity, equity, inclusion and, and saying that it's costing too much. I mean, so it, it goes to show, I guess people people are distracted yeah. and we got to stay focused. If we're going to ever be successful, you have to be focused for a, a mission that is driving forward progress not looking back i mean you have to look it backwards just to understand your history sure. it said that are people that do not remember their history are doomed to repeat the mistakes but we have to be forward thinking as opposed to just you know enjoying ourselves partying and stuff and, and in our community as we know we often do engage in some activities because the society has beaten us down so much some of us yeah. that 
you know, the partying is what we have as an outlet. Well, we got to do better. We, yeah. we, we, we got to, we really got to focus at least right now. Yeah. I got just uh, three minutes here before news, traffic and sports will continue on the other side, of course, and get to this docuseries and their work um, uh, ongoing through the drum major Institute. But let me in these three minutes right quick, uh, Andrea, come back to you and ask you um, to expound on what you said earlier. When you talk about uh, we're living in a moment right now where oppression is being legislated 55 years after the assassination of your husband's iconic father, why do you think we are seeing oppression being legislated? Well, when you look at Martin said earlier, what we believe is that laws should lift us all up, not limit us. Whenever we start passing laws that limit us, that always has not worked in the favor of peace, justice, and equity. When you look at after the um, the 2020 elections, and then you look at all of the voting rights, it's state by state, the re- repressive laws that were passed, making it harder for people to vote instead of easier because those didn't like the way that the elections turned out. When you look at the fact that, um, let's just take our daughter, for example. Mm -hmm. Our daughter is the only grandchild of Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King. She was born in 2008, and she is sitting with fewer rights today than the day that she was born, she and her peers. Um, Because of, in 2009, the Voting Rights Act, the crowning achievement of her grandparents' work, was decimated, making it harder to vote. Um, in 2020, our home state of Georgia, where we live, was one of the states that passed um, laws on the book to make it harder um, and put in more obstacles for people to vote. And then also in our home state, there's a law making it illegal to teach, quote-unquote, critical race theory, and I'm using that intentionally in air quotes because that's something that normally is only taught for half a semester to law students. Mm-hmm. What it really is an attack of is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So history in her home state um, is illegal to teach. And then also last year in 2022, Georgia became one of the states to pass with the, well, first of all, with the federal um, rollback of Roe v. Wade and then laws that are on the book in Georgia she, as a female, has less rights over her body and bodily yeah. autonomy. Yeah. Those are just the beginning. No. Those are not including the laws that we're seeing now in Florida that, you know, they're coming out rolling one behind the other. That's not including Mississippi, where in Jackson you have a, a, a white minority that now is putting together a, basically a shadow oh, yeah. um, we, government. Yeah. Um, so you so. If you really look at what's going on, again, and these are things that are being codified. These are laws that are being passed. And so this is why we say that oppression um, is being legislated. I I hear your point um, that oppression is, in fact, being legislated. And I love your line that uh, laws should lift, not limit. Laws should lift, not limit. Or as your husband said, laws should expand rights, not shrink rights. A great deal more to get to in conversation. I'm loving this. Hope you are as well with Martin Luther King III and his wife, Andrea Waters King, only on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. Glad to have you with us on KBLA Talk 1580. Our guest in this hour, so honored to be in dialogue with the eldest child, the eldest uh, son of Dr. King and Coretta Scott King, Martin the King III, and his uh, brilliant wife, Andrea Waters King, as we continue our conversation about their work through uh, the Drum Major Institute, and we'll get in a moment to talking uh, more about their new docuseries, Protect, Serve. A couple of things I want to hit right quick, uh, Martin, before we move forward. Uh, one, and I have these conversations all the time, having written a book about your father, as you know, uh, about the last year of his life, Death of a King, and just being a student of your father and your mother since I was a 12-year-old kid. Um, 
uh, I am always in conversations <laughs> about Dr. King's corpus. And to your point, uh, I, I put it this way. People think, uh, I think many people think Dr. King only gave one speech in his life. And they, they, they act like Martin's speech only had one line in it, right? <laughs> that I want my children to live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, uh, by the content of their character. They can't go much deeper than that. Some may know a little bit of the mountaintop speech the night before he was killed in Memphis, but that's really all we know. And I find myself telling people all the time, if you really think that a man who traveled every day around the country speaking everywhere and, and preaching on Sundays, if you really think that I Have a Dream is the best of his work, then you really don't know his corpus as good as I Have a Dream was. I raise that because you referenced his last sermon um, uh, at the cathedral, uh, Staying Awake uh, Through the Revolution. Uh, I wonder if you just might say a word about, uh, and I'm not asking you necessarily to pick a favorite, but just uh, uh, say a word about your father's body of work beyond I Have a Dream and how you uh, process that body of work. Wow. Oh, I don't even know where to begin. But what I will say is, and I would encourage people to and purchase his book, Strength to Love, which is a book of sermons, as you know. Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, I think about the meaning of hope, just a sermon that really talks about hope, three dimensions of a complete life, which is profound and powerful. Where he talks about length, breadth, and the height of life. The length is not... Uh, just how long you live, uh, it's, it's how well you live, the, 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 let's see, length, breadth, and height, and, 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 you know, it talks about your outward reach to God. It talks about developing your own uh, self. I mean, it, the, the bodies of work are, are so much. Uh, the other America, which, which really talks about where many people live on the fringes of our society, and every day we walk past them, those who are impoverished, those who are homeless, uh, and back then, we didn't have millions of homeless people like when he delivered these speeches, uh, you know, 58, 59, 60 years ago. But yet, it's very prevalent to where we are right now because it has, it has expanded far beyond what it should have been in a nation with all this opulence. You know, he talked about getting rid of the triple evils of poverty, racism, and violence. And the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, these evils have grown. Mm. And in a nation that has a multi-trillion dollar economy, why are we not addressing or at least reducing poverty, at least addressing and reducing and getting rid of racism and certainly uh, reducing violence in, in our nation and our world? All these things seem to be growing uh, and it, it seems to have come to a head. The, the true point that he talked about, even in, in what you did, which is sounds very interesting, I'm going to have to tune in and look at the, 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 the whole conversation that existed between, you know, Dad and, and Malcolm X and, and where they would be today. Uh, the reality is, unfortunately, they wouldn't have, there's nothing that has to change. Mm -hmm. It's just that we have to do much better because we're not doing the job that we should be doing. Our, our daughter often tells and says something that is sort of painful. And she says, you guys didn't get it done. She doesn't say it in a diminishing way. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to take the baton, and we're going to have to get this done for once and for all. And, you know, as a father, and I'm sure I feel the same way, too, not speaking for her, but it, it kind of, when I first heard it, I cringed. I said, oh, my God, she's, she's so right. We didn't get it done. We got a lot of work to do. Uh, go, but go, going back to what you said, I just – the, the, main, the base thing, basic thing I want to say is I want to encourage people to read Strength to Love because yeah. there's so many sermons 
and, and messages in that that give the breadth and length of who dad was. And then really try to focus on presentations between 66 and 68 because you know, uh, and, and no, I take that back. You, should, you don't don't limit it there because I I heard a, a a message when he was coming back from Oslo when he won the Nobel Prize mm-hmm. in 1964, and it was to a group of people in London. And the th- the things that he was saying were like revolutionary, talking about democracy and 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 really democratic socialism because people. Are, make socialism and, and communism bad words, and I'm not advocating that we go communism, but something has to be done with this system of capitalism that is not working for enough people in our nation. Yep. You mentioned strength alone. Let me just say this sure. as well, too, because of the fact that I think people just think that um, our daughter Yolanda came out of the womb reciting, I have a dream. Um, <laughs> and the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that in our household, it's like many households, around the country, we had to teach her Mm -hmm. um, about what her grandparents, their work and their words. And so um, one of the immense pleasures of being a parent and parenting her is that we have to constantly um, go deep into all of the the speeches and the writing. Well, we don't have to, we choose to, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the the writings and the speeches and the, you know, and we talk about it, you know, um, around the dining room table and we're constantly having, um, Martin's father's, her grandparents' words playing in our house or, you know, reading them be so that she can truly understand, not just from a, a surface level, but for her to truly understand. And however, whatever she does with her life, she's free to do. Yeah. Um, she doesn't have to follow in the footsteps of her, her grandparents. You know, I just really, we want her to be, find her purpose. But it is important for us to understand, um, for her to understand her history and um, our history of a nation. So we're constantly, and I would encourage all of us, you know, go directly to the source, you know, go to the books, you know, go to the speeches and really listen, you know, become a student of King. And and as you're doing that, also think about how that applies to your life. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we all are heirs to the, to the dream. When Martin's father was talking about his four children, he really were talking about, yes, he was talking about his children intimately, but he also was talking about all of us, all, you know, all of us as children. And it really is not that each one of us um, finds our purpose and our power, our unique power, our unique purpose in helping to create the beloved community as, until we all see ourselves as mm-hmm. being part of that. That's how we will build it, and that's how we will create it. In my in my book collection in my library um, and in my personal you know collection of King uh, paraphernalia King memorabilia, I have two things that I uh, that I look at all the time that uh, make me uh, extremely proud to just have live uh, in a moment where I would get to know the members of this King family. I have one book that's signed by everybody uh, in order of their birth. Uh, Coretta Scott King at the top, and it goes in descending order uh, of her children. Uh, and I have one book that that family uh, gifted me. I have another book, uh, Martin mentioned Strength to Love, uh, and I am just so humbled that I have in my collection a copy of Strength to Love, a first edition copy signed by Dr. King. So between those two books, wow. I've got the signatures of the entire family uh, in my library, and I, uh, I I go to those books all the time uh, for research and just, uh, just inspiration. This leads me um, uh, straight to the work that you're doing now through the Drum Major Institute. Say uh, a word to me, uh, Andre, about the work of the Drum Major Institute, and then as we move forward, we'll talk uh, specifically about this new docu-series that you are a part of called Protect Serve. 
Certainly, certainly. Well, the Drum Major um, Institute, we take our name from the very last sermon that Martin's father ever delivered, which was called the Drum Major Instinct. And that um, sermon was delivered at Ebenezer Baptist Church on February 4th of 1968, literally two months before he was assassinated. Um, You all mentioned the last sermon he ever gave, of course, was at the Washington Cathedral, but this was the last sermon he ever gave at Ebenezer Baptist Church, his home church. Mm -hmm. And in that sermon, he talked about a life well lived, and he talked about how he wanted to be remembered, and not for his awards and, you know, for his Ph.D., but he wanted to be remembered um, as someone who tried to see what was wrong um, and make it right, as a person of peace, of, of justice and equity. And when he was assassinated... Two months later, Coretta Scott King did not pull I Have a Dream to be played at at his sermon, nor did she pull a mountaintop speech or any of the vast um, sermons or writings. She chose that sermon to play at his funeral. Mm -hmm. It was the last thing that was played and his voice. So in a very real sense, he eulogized himself. Mm -hmm. And we at Drum Major believe that that call is our pursuit. It's this generation's pursuit to feed the flames. Um, of peace, justice, and equity, to eliminate the triple evils of racism, poverty, and violence, of which he identified through embracing peace, justice, and equity. He also talked about the next phase of the civil rights movement would be for genuine equality. And we feel that, you know, again, through the elimination of the triple evils and through embracing peace, justice, and equity, it's how we as a society, um, once and for all, have genuine equality as the um, the rule of law in this land and how we really realize the dream and create the beloved community. Mm. I love it. Uh, when we come forward, we'll talk uh, straight away uh, about their docuseries, Protect, Serve. You're listening to Andrea Waters King and her husband, Martin Luther King III, on KBLA Talk 1580. Martin Luther King III, tell me, sir, about this uh, docuseries, Protect, Serve. So... You know, what is really very, thank, thank you for the opportunity to talk a little bit about what we hope to do in this, in this docuseries. Um, it is really looking at police behavior and really trying to change the, the trajectory. Uh, across our nation, we are seeing a constant, th- this is not new, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, it's just that our society has never dealt with it. And it's very clear. I think the most recent incident, which occurred in Memphis, where Tyree Nichols was just beaten extraordinarily badly. And I'm sure in the community, in our community, black community, we always knew that black policemen sometimes are just as bad or worse than white policemen mm-hmm. as it relates to our own community. We have a deep-seated hatred, clearly, of ourselves. And we got to change that. This has been programmed for years and years and years. Mm. Uh, but when we look at policing as a whole, there are some policemen who certainly do a great job. They protect and serve. But there are elements in all these police departments that are devastating to our communities. Over-policing in many of our communities, there's um, the, most, the worst kind of policing that you could ever have. Now, until we holistically provide not just sensitivity, human relations, um, diversity, uh, community policing, all of that has to be reinvigorated. We got to do some serious psychological evaluation. All of us know uh, people who have become policemen who were mistreated throughout their lives and 
then they get power and yes. then they don't yes. handle it properly. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows yep. that. So obviously this, that didn't come up in the screening. The police hiring procedures are going to have to be changed. Uh, then we need also civilian review boards. Um, and, and in addition to that, we need independent prosecutors. The police department, thank you. Thankfully, they have an intel, uh, what do you call it? Uh, an affa- uh, internal affairs, mm-hmm. but you can't investigate yourself. I can't investigate me. I mean, I'll do an okay job, but at the end of the day, you need an impartial entity that does these investigations so that people can feel like it really is a balanced approach. So all of this we hope to bring out in this docu-series so that we can get engagement. And there's going to have to be something dramatic that happens in policing yeah. uh, for some of this to change. And I, 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 the, it cannot be done. It has to be the whole community. We need the business community. We need the religious community. We need community leaders. We need politicians. We need everybody sitting at the table saying, along with the police departments, this is how we're going to make policing right. And, let, and, and as it relates to the one thing, as, as, as it relates to how African Americans oftentimes it escalates to a killing. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to decide. Okay, maybe we need to really look at this thing about boycotting again, and we need to decide where we're gonna spend some of this trillion, one point four trillion dollars that mm-hmm. we have spent. Uh, we. I mean, at the end of the day, if we get any one of these companies, you know, whether it's a, a Nike or somebody like, where we spend all this money, and we decide, okay, we're gonna we're gonna stop utilizing you for a little while they will come and help us resolve our issue that's the only thing that america seems to understand and that is when you exercise your buying power we have to wake up as a community i'm I'm not saying we're victims because we are being badly mistreated but it's also our responsibility to demand that we be respected and Mm. treated with dignity and respect and that part of this hopefully through this docu-series will chart and characterize all of this. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Martin Luther King III and Andrea Waters King, uh, I'll offer this as the exit question because this came up in the radio play, The Return. We asked Dr. King, we asked Minister Malcolm uh, in that conversation whether or not they thought that black folk and law enforcement would ever get along. We'll get that question to the son of Dr. King, Martin III, and his wife, Andrea Waters King, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. A little bit more with Martin and Andrea on uh, this station. Got about four minutes left. Andrea, that question to you first. Um, what's your sense about whether or not black folk and law enforcement will ever be at peace? Will we ever get along? I think we have to have both legislation to ensure um, that there is justice as it relates particularly to the black community and protections for our communities. But I also think that we also need to have um, legislation of our heart as well. Mm. And so that we also have to find, because you can't legislate, you know, um, as Martin's father talked about, you know, you can't legislate a man to love you, Mm -hmm. but you certainly can legislate him from um, killing you, from lynching you. And I think that's that's what we we need to have um, things in place, recourses, but we also need to have something within each of us. Uh, you know, that we really could find a way so that we don't need to have these um, these um, 
boundaries in yep. place and protections. Yep. One of my so favorite, we need both. No, it's one of my favorite King quotes. Uh, you cannot legislate morality. You just can't legislate mm-hmm. morality. Uh, the last two minutes, I'll give the last word to you, uh, uh, Martin Luther King III, your thoughts on whether or not with the work that you're doing, uh, you, you too are doing through this docu-series, Protect, Serve, whether or not it is your view in the long run that black folk and cops will ever get along. Well, first of all, let, let me say it's found, I think, uh, in where do we go from here, chaos or community. Mm-hmm. Now, what I mean by that is if you build community, the answer is yes. Yes. As long as you have communities that are, are there's no opportunity, there are no good schools, there are no jobs, there's, there's, there's nothing but bleakness, you're going to have problems and confrontations with law enforcement. When you truly build community, yes, we can have the right kind of law enforcement and, 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 and the right uh, kind of opportunities for all people. So I, that's a very short answer. But the fact of the matter is this can be created. I mean, we are, it's not utopia. It's not, it's not even that it, it may be challenging, yeah. but it's not something that cannot happen. We have never done that. You know, well, why is it that, you know, certain communities that crime is high? Well, there's no, there's nothing there. Yeah. There's no opportunity. Mm-hmm. People have to, they feel like they have to do what they have to do. It's survival of the fittest. Yeah. Now, when you take that element out and there's all, I mean, when people are fulfilled and happy, I mean, you're going to have a small degree of things because there are mental health challenges and yeah. illness. But the reality is we can create community. I believe when we create community, and again, I would encourage people, implore people to go read, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? We're seeing chaos constantly. Absolutely. We must build community. When yeah. we build community, then policing sort of will correct itself to some no. degree, although we have to help policing. No, it's, it's the perfect answer. Uh, let me close in 30 seconds here uh, by asking what your timeline is for the docu-series and when you expect to roll it out. Uh, I think we are probably about at least six months away from rolling it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, Calabasas uh, Films actually is 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 involved uh, extensively in, in that portion of it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's going to be a great series. I look forward to it. Uh, Protect, Serve. Uh, the yeah. series, again, sees Dr. King's uh, uh, first boy, <laughs> first boy child. Uh, moderating a series of conversations with law enforcement officials, activists, grassroots organization founders, DAs, and other prominent figures trying to get a handle on uh, this issue of police brutality, police violence, and how we can do better. Uh, Martin and Andrea, I love you both. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you for this hour. We'll do it again soon. Take care of yourselves. Thank you. Love you thank too. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for everything.